Welcome to Surgipod, the podcast that delivers you all the latest trends and developments from the world of surgical practice administration. Each episode, you will hear from thought leaders in the sector sharing their valuable knowledge, insights, and predictions from a range of perspectives. And now for your host, Justin Rockman, Vice President of Surgimate, the leading surgical scheduling and coordination technology provider. Enjoy the podcast. I'd like to welcome Dr. Chima Ohebulam, who is a section chief of spine surgery at New England Baptist Hospital and a renowned neurosurgeon. Thank you very much, Dr. Chima, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Justin. Dr. Chima, please uh, tell us a little bit about your own personal journey to becoming a neurosurgeon and the section chief of spine surgery. And uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about that journey that brought you to where you are today. Um, so a, a bit of a circuitous journey overall. I grew up and uh, went to medical school in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I came to Boston about 25 years ago for my residency in neurosurgery, um, specialized in spine surgery. And uh, at the end of my training, I was uh, looking for uh, an opportunity to practice in a, a, a setting that had a robust uh, multi-surgeon uh, spine surgery program and was fortunate to find one uh, right next to where I trained. I, I trained at the uh, Brigham Women's Hospital and Children's Hospital in Boston, uh, but ended up uh, coming um, a few uh, hundred yards away to the New England Baptist Hospital, uh, which is a, um, a specialty hospital uh, concentrating largely in uh, joint replacements and uh, spine surgery, as well as uh, uh, sports uh, medicine. Um, I've enjoyed practicing at a place that uh, delivers very high quality special care to a uh, a large uh, number of patients and had always been interested in the logistics of of how uh, programs like this uh, work, uh, but admittedly had largely been on the sidelines uh, for uh, for years. Um, About a year ago, an opportunity came up when uh, the previous uh, chief of the uh, section uh, moved on to a new uh, opportunity outside the hospital, um, and I thought it was uh, time to uh, to see if I could apply some of my vision to maximizing our potential as a group um, with the the strengths, the personnel, the resources we already had in place. Excellent. And in terms of um, um, being in that new position, what what do you feel are some of the greatest challenges um, that you confront? both in terms of what happens within the hospital environment, but also in terms of healthcare in general in the United States today? You know, certainly, you know, on the, I, I, I function in, in, uh, in private practice myself, as do most of the uh, surgeons um, at this hospital, but uh, many of the challenges apply to, to employed um, surgeons, as well as to the entire healthcare system, the, the paperwork, the administrative burden of the care we have to provide is, uh, is enormous. Um, and it, it simply takes away time from actual patient care. Uh, there's only a finite number of hours in the day. And uh, if, if, uh, if X amount of time is spent on uh, paperwork, that just leaves less time to, to deal with people. So on our end, us as technologists and us you know, on the software side, trying to provide the best uh, value products and services. What is it that we can do to help um, help you as a clinician, as a surgeon, uh, provide the best level of care? What on the on the technology side can we help with? Yeah, 
I think it always helps to have um, ways of decreasing the the friction that is inherent in the in the systems we deal with. Um, we we deal with um, several different uh, insurance companies, several different healthcare systems. Um, you know, a multitude of patients, and, and there are. Um, you know, there, there really is a nightmare of uh, paperwork and technological systems to navigate uh, in coordinating all of this uh, for patient care. You know, reducing the paperwork, simplifying uh, all of that is invaluable and, uh, you know, starts to give us uh, time back with uh, patient care, um, as well as, um, you know, just improving the, the quality, streamlining the work we do. So it really falls very much not on the technology side, but also on the, on the administration side and the support staff which you have. Um, surgical scheduling is a key component of that, uh, being able to connect all the different stakeholders that are involved in scheduling a case together and making sure that it's a seamless journey for the patients. So what, what do you feel would be the, you know, the core ingredient that you're looking for uh, that you feel is uh, critical to help make sure that that part of the, uh, of the process, the, the coordination of the surgery is handled completely seamlessly? Um, you touched on a couple of things there. Um, the, you know, being organized is, is paramount for, for a surgical scheduler. Um, and, uh, and along with that, having the initiative to deal with a, a complex uh, schedule. I, I'm in spine surgery, for example, and uh, the, the, the variety of cases that I uh, deal with is, uh, is pretty wide. There are smaller, um, less complex cases, and there are longer, more complex cases. Um, fitting all this into a schedule can be um, tricky sometimes. And, um, you know, having the, the ability to juggle um, varying um, requirements from different insurance companies, different times to get approval, as well as uh, um, helping patients navigate their own uh, schedules and commitments uh, to combine all of this in a schedule that works is, is a challenge. And it's, it's, a, it's an always moving process that uh, requires a scheduler to be very organized and, and, uh, be, and, and have initiative. Um, and, and along with all of this is, you know, simply being compassionate as well, too. It's not pleasant or fun for uh, patients to be in a position of needing surgery. Um, and uh, having someone who can uh, guide them through this entire process, uh, um, you know, and, uh, and soothe their frazzled nerves as they do so, you know, juggling all the other things I mentioned is, uh, is very important. And, and it's quite telling when um, you know I'm, I'm meeting patients, for example, again on the day of surgery, and they're they are expressing gratitude uh, to my uh, surgical scheduler, you know, as as the main person they remember from the whole process, you know, getting them through a very difficult uh, process. Yeah, you use the term uh, juggling, and uh, I met once a, a young surgical scheduler who actually worked as a in a circus and. She said that, that my experience scheduling at working in the circus is perfect for what I do as a, as a scheduler because scheduling a surgery isn't a linear process where this follows this, follows this. She says it's much more like a juggling act. And if any one of those balls drops or any one of those knives <laughs> uh, drops at any point in time, you know, the surgery can get canceled unnecessarily. And so that can create a huge amount of frustration for the patients, uh, for, the, for the physicians and for the whole, for the whole system. What, what, 
in terms of frustrations, what, what drives you crazy, right, from the administration side of booking the surgery? You know, when things get cancelled or when the equipment rep doesn't show, what, what are the things that as a surgeon, it's like, ah, oh, if I could solve that problem, I'd love to be able to do that. Um, I, I think keeping track of the pre-authorization process is, is a big uh, challenge for us. You know, make, making sure that uh, we meet the requirements that different insurers have um, and, uh, you know, making that fit into, into the schedule for the patients and for us. Um, that, that is a big, uh, big challenge. If, if that didn't exist, for example, the, the process would involve less juggling and it would become much more linear. Uh, but um, the, I mean, there are valid reasons for having a, a, a pre-authorization process, but um, because it is so complex and varies from, from one uh, insurer to another, it, that makes it a very big challenge. Right, and you, you've, been, uh, you've been a renowned neurosurgeon for many, many years. Has, have things just got increasingly more complex in the last decade to two decades from, from your lens as, as a surgeon? Uh, without a doubt, they have. It's, um, you know, they, this it becomes more difficult with uh, each passing year. Um, you know, the number of things that have to be taken into account with, uh, with scheduling, uh, the number of uh, rules that have to be followed. So it, it, is, it is without any doubt becoming more complex with each year. Right. So... Let's switch gears first. I, I want to ask a question now, you know, as a neurosurgeon. Like the team here at SurgeMate are completely obsessed with the Netflix show, uh, The Good Doctor. So as is my wife, you know, she sits there and binge watches it at night and whatnot. But, you know, when you're a surgeon and you watch shows like that, what's your reaction? Is this like completely outside of the scope of what happens in reality? How do you sort of react to the way in which surgeons are depicted today on television shows like that? So I, I have to admit, I, I wish I had more time for TV. <laughs> and uh, the, this is not, not just as a function of work, but, uh, you know, a pretty busy family life. I, I you know, don't watch as much TV as, as, uh, as I wish I could. Um, you know, I do get the sense from, you know, having seen some shows um, and, uh, and from secondhand uh, anecdotes that I think a lot of the time surgeons' jobs are, you know, sometimes depicted as more glamorous than they they actually are, or our lives are more glamorous than they are. Um, that that simply isn't the case for the most part, not among the people I know, and certainly not with mine. Um, I, I also, you know, from time to time, see surgeons uh, portrayed as uh, as mavericks, uh, if you will, you know, and that's rarely the case in my experience. You know, surgeons you know, have to function as parts of complex teams, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, while they may lead those uh, teams, they, they, the, they are, the, t- the teams are completely dependent on them, on the surgeons working as effective members of, of, of those teams. Um, nothing works well if the surgeons are individualist, uh, nonconformist. So, you know, the, the, uh, the surgeon who is, uh, um, you know, a maverick all the time is rarely seen in my experience. Okay. So without, well, possibly outside of magically clicking your fingers and eliminating um, pandemics like COVID, what, what was it that you would like to do? Like, if there was anything which you could do to help improve healthcare in the United States today, what is it that you feel would be the number one or two things that you'd like to uh, uh, see happen? I think at a fundamental level, there 
there is a big disconnect between uh, people's understanding of how healthcare is funded and, and the reality of what takes place. And that leads to a lot of the challenges that we deal with, a lot of frustrations patients have um, and, and difficulties delivering care. You know, so I, I, I wish it were possible to improve people's understanding of where their premiums, you know, go, what the employer's contribution to premiums uh, um, actually is, you know, how those funds have to cover increasingly complex and expensive care. Um, yeah, I don't know that a lot of people, you know, truly grasp that um, resources are finite. You know, people have very different expectations from health insurance, you know, on the one hand, from what they do uh, to, you know, auto insurance or home insurance. Um, so it leads to frustration and unhappiness with uh, the entire system um, a lot of the time. Um, and, and I think understanding the entire picture of how healthcare is funded uh, would facilitate discussions about whether society wants completely private healthcare or a uh, government-run single-payer system or some hybrid model. Um, I, I don't think society by and large has the information that it needs to make that decision. Um, and so frustrations continue daily. No, nobody is happy with the system as it exists. So it's a combination of both the very, very high cost and also the lack perhaps of the transparency of information about you know, what goes into the fact that there is such a high cost for healthcare. And uh, that, that creates a lot of uh, frustration. You can provide the highest quality of patient care on the clinical side, but is that matched uh, with the perhaps the, the value uh, components on the financial piece that the patients get frustrated with? I, I believe so. I, I think people, people just don't understand how, how the system works and um, there, there'd be less frustration if, if they did. So tell me a little bit about a patient that may have uh, touched your heart and, uh, and, and provided you with that sort of sense of satisfaction that you often go into when you decide to become a doctor um, to give that motivation also to those that want to go along that very long, arduous task of becoming uh, a spine surgeon the many, many years. Are there any experiences or stories of, of that one patient that you sort of have in the back of your mind that says, I'm doing you know, all of this hard work and all these long hours, um, and that story really sits with you? And there are a lot of patients like that. Um, you know, I, I, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I'm not regularly dealing with trauma patients or patients with life-threatening issues, but uh, the, the quality of life issues that come up day to day with uh, what I, uh, I treat um, is, uh, is very important for many people. I, I you know, was talking with my wife um, uh, recently about a, uh, a wonderful woman I, I treated um, uh, several years ago who was um, a nun in a convent. And um, you know, as part of her, her mission, she, um, uh, she was a very accomplished uh, organist. Um, and uh, had gradually lost the ability to play um, the, the organ uh, because of her, um, her spinal condition. Um, you know, underwent surgery, um, had a somewhat challenging recovery, but ultimately recovered her ability to play. And, you know, the joy it gave her was, was you know, incredible to see. Uh, and it was very, very gratifying. You know, she... She was insistent for the longest time at uh, pulling, you know, me and my family over to the convent so that she could 
uh, you know, perform for us. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, my, my kids, I had very young kids at the time who were, you know, tickled to, to see the, the attention that, you know, given to, to all of us uh, and the, uh, the joy and gratitude that she and her, you know, entire community had uh, over that, you know, restoration and, and uh, ability that she had. Um, you know, I'll always remember her, you know, and, and there are, you know, multiple people like that who have, you know, just lost the ability to engage with, with family members or community that, you know, get that back and that it, uh, you know, it fulfills them and it's, it's, you know, very gratifying to see. Oh, that's such a beautiful and touching uh, story. Thank you very much for sharing, uh, Dr. Chima. And the work you do is just, it's magical. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, thank you so very, very much for your time today and uh, joining us today on Sergipod. And uh, I know you have an extremely uh, busy schedule uh, and a lineup for today. And uh, once again, just thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Justin. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for listening to Sergipod. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast to stay up to date with new episodes.